this morning. I'm excited about our text, so would you open your Bibles there at home or wherever you may be to Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4. We're actually going to be here for the next two weeks, that is, in Nehemiah. Now, for those of you who've been with us for some time, let me remind you of something that we all stated together for many, many weeks, months, and even well over a year, and that is, I am a child of God destined to make a difference. I will not doubt or fear in the face of adversity, for I am committed to God's will for my life, no matter what opposition may come. I will praise God for every blessing and through every trial, for he will never fail me. I will put God first every day of my life that I may hear him say, well done. You'll find this on the back cover of some of my books. You'll find it on the CCT website. And this is what we have dubbed as the CCT Manifesto, our Declaration of Intentions. Now, when we studied the book of Nehemiah back in 2004, this manifesto began to form and we learned it together as I believe the Lord was speaking it to us and we repeated it every Sunday, first in portions and then in its final state that we just said a few moments ago as it developed fully. Now in chapter one, we read that Nehemiah heard of the condition of the city of his fathers. He was burdened about it and how Jerusalem's walls were burned and its gates were broken down and burned with fire. And having prayed and petitioned the Lord for favor, he went before King Artaxerxes and asked him permission to go and do something about the city, specifically rebuild it. And the king listened to Nehemiah's deep sorrow and granted his request. And from that, we learned that Nehemiah came to the understanding that he had a destiny of making a difference in specifically the city of Jerusalem and those around him. Then in Nehemiah chapter 2, 17 to 19, we found this. Nehemiah said to those who had heard the report that he gave about the condition of the city, and he said, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they laughed at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king. And no sooner had the decision been made to build and people came alongside Nehemiah that opposition and adversity began to raise its head against the work of God. And the latter chapters tell us that Nehemiah was a man of praise. He praised God through these trials. He was a man of faith who believed that God would never fail him. He was a man who put God first in his word as well, above all else. Now our chapter for this week and next is going to reveal more details and specifics about the opposition that came against Nehemiah and his fellow laborers while seeking to rebuild what had been torn down. 
Now, we live in a time where the house of God, and remember, we are the temple of God. We are God's building. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the people who make up the church. We are facing adversity. We are facing opposition today, and the opposition is calling us to stop what God has called us to do. And like with Nehemiah, lies are being told about us, accusations are being hurled at us, and the opposition is growing in number against us, just like the Bible said it would be in the last days. Now, like in Jerusalem, this month in these United States of America, churches have been burned down. There are churches burning around the world today. The 249-year-old San Gabriel Mission here in California was set on fire a couple of weeks ago. According to USA Today, a Connecticut church was defaced with satanic symbols and a statue of Jesus was beheaded in a Florida church. The governor of California has ordered indoor church services to cease he has banned home studies as well, and many in our country are blaming the church for a rise in positive coronavirus tests. And to top it off, in spite of the fact that millions have gathered in the street in protest while rioting, while looting, the governor says these things are permissible, and he does not consider them to be contributing factors to the rise of positive test cases here in California. And like Nehemiah, we are being opposed. And we are in an unprecedented season of adversity here in the United States, though I will say it hardly compares with the level of persecution that has long been experienced by Christians in other countries. But I will add this, I believe it's coming here. Now make no mistake, the devil is behind it. His desire is to destroy Israel. His desire is to destroy the church. Now, we need to remember the words of James, the Lord's half-brother, when he said, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now the word flee means exactly what we think it means. It means to run away. In other words, what James is telling us is that by submitting to God, we are resisting the devil and putting him on the run, so to speak. And this week and next week, we're going to see exactly how to do that through the example of Nehemiah when he sought to fulfill his ministry, when he sought to fulfill the call of God on his own life as a man of God who put God first. Now, our title this week and next may seem a bit rebellious, and it is and should be and rightfully so, and our title is simply The Resistance. The Resistance is our title this morning, and we're going to talk about opposing the devil, obviously. Now, in our efforts to resist the devil and his minions and those serving him, we're going to look at the preparation for resistance today and the implementation of resistance next week. And if we are going to stand fast in these last days, we need to be prepared. We need to have some practical understanding of what it means to submit to God. Nehemiah had a burden that blossomed into a plan. And as soon as the decision to start building was made, opposition came and it began to grow. 
And we need to be prepared for the growing opposition in our country and world against the people of God. Now, our verses are going to show us just how far things progressed for Nehemiah and how Nehemiah was unmoved by these increased efforts of the enemy against the work and plan of God. Listen, we are the resistance against the advancement of the devil's agenda until the Lord takes us home. So let's prepare for how we are to resist the devil, his minions, and put them on the run in these last days. So if you're at home and you'd like to stand, please do so. But let's read together our opening portion of Nehemiah 4, specifically verses 1 through 14. Nehemiah 4, 1. But it so happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? Now, Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Whatever they build, if even a fox goes upon it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you. For they have provoked you to anger before the builders. So we built the wall and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height for the people had a mind to work. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed that they became very angry and all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to God and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. And our adversary said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So it was when the Jews dwelt, who dwelt near them came that they told us 10 times, from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. Therefore, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families with swords, their spears, and their bows. And Lord, we pray now that you would give us wisdom as we examine this text and this event that is so rich in Israel's history about how to deal with opposition. Lord, would you teach us how to do so in the day in which we now live and the adversity and opposition which we now face. We ask your help. In this we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you were standing at home or wherever you are, you may be seated. Now, the first step of preparation for the resistance comes from verses 1 to 3, where we find Sanballat, who was actually a Moabite, where he hears of the work that had begun, and he became furious and indignant, and he began to mock what God was doing through his chosen people. We might say he started talking trash on them. And then his friends, Tobiah and Geshem, joined in, 
as they mocked the Jews in front of the local Samaritan soldiers, and they resorted to insinuating that none of what they hoped to do was actually ever going to happen. They said the city's not going to be fortified by implication. Sacrifices aren't ever going to be reinstituted here on this grounds and these properties. Then he insults their work ethic by saying, why are they working so hard? Do they think they're going to complete this task in a day? And look at what they're working with. Burn limestones from a trash heap or a rubbish heap. Then Tobiah chimes in and says, even if a fox, which is extremely lightweight and known to be very light-footed, even if a fox goes up on the wall, which they're rebuilding, the wall is going to collapse. Now, as a reminder to you and I from Isaiah 51, 7, the prophet says, listen to me, you who know righteousness, you people in whose heart is my law. Do not fear the reproach of men, nor be afraid of their insults. Somebody out there say amen to that. Now, people with a heart for the Lord and his word who know righteousness are always going to be reproached. They're always going to be attacked. And reproach means to taunt or to scorn. And we see much of that happening today in increasing numbers. We are being scorned. We are being taunted by people in places of power and by many of those who are protesting the very foundational beliefs of our nation today. And yet Peter would say this in 1 Peter 4, 14, if you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. There are people blaspheming God today. Yet, in the midst of the reproach that we are experiencing, we have the opportunity to glorify the Lord. Isaiah says not to allow reproaches and insults to create fear. Peter goes on to say, consider such things as a blessing. Now, here's the first preparation of our thinking in order to be part of the resistance that we need to be today, resisting the devil and those who are working for him. And the first truth I want you to consider this morning is this. Listen, growing opposition is an opportunity for great victory. Growing opposition is an opportunity for great victory. And opposition is far too often a deterrent when it should be a motivation. It should be seen as Isaiah and Peter described it. Opposition is nothing to fear, and reproach to us should be an opportunity to glorify God, which is a blessing. Now, looking back on our time in Nehemiah some 16 years ago, I was reminded of this rather interesting story, and obviously it is just that, a story. And the story says, the devil had fallen on hard times. A revival had started in America that began at Calvary Chapel, Tustin. It swept the globe and the devil was in dire straits. He decided to have a yard sale and put all of his tools up for sale. The date of the sale was advertised. His tools were placed for public inspection and they were a treacherous lot of implements. Hatred, envy, jealousy, doubt, lying, pride, clearly all the tools of the forces of darkness. One man who was perusing his weaponry 
he came across a rather harmless looking tool that was actually separated from the other. And it was priced far higher than the other wares that Satan was seeking to sell. And one of the potential purchasers asked the adversary, the devil, what's the name of that tool? And Satan said, that's discouragement. And then the person said, why have you priced it so high? And why is it far more worn out than any of the other tools at your disposal? He said, because I've used it to discourage more people and it's been more effective than any of my other tools that I've ever devised. Listen, we are a people of hope. We are a people of the good and almighty God, the great God of heaven, and he is for us, and therefore what can man do to us? And a contemporary of Nehemiah, a man who had taken some 32,000 captives of Babylon back to the city of Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, Ezra the priest, this he said in Ezra 4, 1 to 5, now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the descendants of the captivity were building the temple of the Lord God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel and the heads of the father's houses and said to them, let us build with you, for we seek your God as you do. And we have sacrificed to him since the days of Eshadon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel and Jeshua the hands or the heads of the rest of the father's houses of Israel said to them, you may do nothing with us to build a house for our God, but we alone will build it to the Lord God of Israel as King Cyrus, the king of Persia has commanded us. Then the people of the land tried to discourage the people of Judah. They troubled them in their building. They hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose. All the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Now listen, we don't need the governor's help to build the church. We don't need the president's help even to build the church. It is God who builds the church and adds daily those being saved. And listen, if we are going to keep from being discouraged by all we see going on today, we're going to have to have a paradigm shift in our thinking and not allow opposition to deter or discourage us, but rather to see it as an opportunity for a great victory. Now that victory may be personal, and certainly there will be victories that are corporate for the church, but we should expect to see victory when opposition arises because opposition to God's will, opposition to God's word will never prevail. And 1 John 5, 4, John the Beloved says, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So let me ask you, you Bible students out there, did Ezra and the tribes of Judah and Benjamin rebuild the temple? Yes, they did. Did Nehemiah and company rebuild the wall and hang the gates of the city? Yes, they did. Did the opposition prevail? No, they didn't. Do we serve the same unchanging and almighty God? Yes, we do. And that means we should show, uh, or we should, I guess I should say, consider Newsom's shutdown order, the progressive agenda, and the liberal efforts to silence the church as an opportunity for a great victory. And we will not be silent. We will continue to speak the truth 
in love. That's where you say amen. Now, in verses 4 through 9, again, Nehemiah begins to pray. I want you to pay close attention to what happens next. He says, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. So we built the wall and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Now it happened when Sambalot, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, the Ashtonites, you see the opposition is growing, heard the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry and all of them conspired to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Now, in response to Sanballat and Tobiah's verbal assault, Nehemiah prays, Lord, deal with them. And that brings up a very important point and question, and that is concerning the content of his prayer. And the question would be, should we pray like this? Should we pray that the Lord deals with our adversaries? Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said in 43 to 45, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. There's the common grace of God active in his creation. And Jesus is dealing in this conversation or this sermon with interpersonal relationships. He says we should love our neighbors and our enemies and we should pray for them both. Now Nehemiah says in his prayer, God, they might be verbally opposing us. They might be verbally assaulting us, but their actual efforts are in opposition to you, O God. Now, David often prayed in the same manner. In the Psalms, we'll find what's called imprecatory prayers, as he was praying as a king. He was praying for victory over their enemies. He was praying for even the death and defeat of Israel's enemies. He prayed as a national leader for the nation. And thus, if we can glean anything from this, it would be that we should pray that the things that are in opposition to God would be dealt with by God because we know that vengeance is the Lord's and he will repay. Now the obvious part of the resistance uh, preparation in these verses is prayer. We ought to pray. We ought to pray without ceasing, Paul said. That means we don't just pray when advers uh, adversity and opposition are coming against us. We ought to be praying all the time and incorporate in our prayers Praise to God when things are going well and when things are going not so well. Now, Nehemiah prayed. Now, listen close. Nehemiah prayed and kept building. And the opposition increased, so Nehemiah prayed, and then he set a watch against them day and night. Now, listen, Nehemiah, here's the point I want you to understand here as we prepare ourselves to be the resistance. Nehemiah didn't pray and say, Lord, as soon as the opposition ceases, We'll get back to work. 
When the opposition increased, Nehemiah didn't think, well, I guess we made the wrong decision by continuing to work. Now they're plotting to attack us and create confusion. Nehemiah prayed and. Nehemiah prayed and kept working. Nehemiah prayed and set a watch against the adversaries day and night. And the best way for you and I to illustrate this for our understanding is that we are supposed to pray for the lost. But it doesn't end there. We pray for the lost and we go to the lost and we tell them about Jesus. In other words, we pray and. Now here's our second point of uh, uh, preparing for the resistance that we need to be a part of today. Listen, prayer is most effective when accompanied by work, not worry. Prayer is most effective when accompanied by work, not worry. I love what Billy Sunday said some years ago. He said, when you pray for a house, pray with a hammer in one hand and a saw in the other. Answer your own prayers. Listen, we have throughout the whole of Scripture God incorporating human beings into his answered petitions on behalf of God's people. And there are a lot of people today who seem to be praying for God to do what he told them to do. And God has given us directives. God has given us instructions like Jesus in the opening uh, after the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5, 13 to 16, he said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Then he said, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. And then he gives this instruction, let your light so shine before men that when they see your good works, and they may see your good works, and glorify your Father in heaven. And what Jesus is telling us is that we are the earth's purifying and preserving influence. We are the world's light bearers in our homes and in our cities. And Nehemiah left the opposition in God's hands. And he put his hands to work. And the people were like-minded. Now, we need to work against the opposition today by doing what God called us to do. Not pray that he would do it without us. He's going to do what he wants to do through the ones he assigned the task to. He didn't say go to the world and invite people to church. He said go to the world and preach the gospel and make disciples so they can become part of the church. And listen, this is how we shut down abortion clinics. We don't just pray they would close. We don't just worry that they would exist. We do something about it. We seek to bring people to Christ. We seek to tell people about Jesus that they can have a transformation of heart and mind and all the activities of life that God changes when we come to know him. And Proverbs reminds us in 29.2 regarding people in authority. And Solomon says, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, the people groan. And listen, when you live in a republic such as the United States of America, we don't just pray the right person wins. We go vote for the right person even if the right person is just the person that keeps the wrong person out of office. Now, I want you to think about this. We have been been in need of a building. We didn't just pray about it. We went and looked for it. 
We didn't just worry about it and wait for God to do what he told us to do. We went out looking for the building. We looked. Pastor Dave's probably worn a dozen pair of shoes out walking around different facilities looking for a building. Now I want you to think about this this morning or today, wherever it is where you are. There is a very small portion of our country that is driving the narrative and controlling the direction our country is in. A very small portion of people are controlling what's happening in our country. And the reason is they're all at it. They're all in. They have a mind to advance what it is they believe should be happening in our country. Listen, it's estimated that there are between 30 and 60 million Christians in the United States. By far the largest special interest group in this country. Could you imagine if 60 million Christians all had a mind to see this country shine again for the glory of God? What would happen in this country? Imagine if we decided to do something about it instead of praying and worrying about where we're going. Now listen, I'm not disparaging prayer. We need to be praying constantly, as I said earlier, through the Apostle Paul. But we need to remember that prayer is most effective when accompanied by work, not worry and well wishes. Nehemiah prayed and the people had a mind to work. Opposition grew, so they set a watch day and night to thwart their plans and attempts to bring about confusion. I love how the 18th century Bible commentator Matthew Henry put it. He said, fervent prayer is to be seconded or followed by diligent action. Fervent prayer is to be followed by diligent action. Yes, we need to pray. Men ought always to pray. God's people ought always to pray. And there are times where we pray and wait. But we need to remember when Isaiah talked about waiting on the Lord, he's talking about maintaining an active hope, not losing hope as you wait to see how God is going to deal with adversity and the adversaries that come against him and his people, his chosen people. But we need to be active. We need to be moving forward. We need to be advancing the cause of Christ. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world, and we need to fight against losing our savor through silence and worry and discouragement. Now, in verses 10 to 13, we'll wrap up our time this morning, where Nehemiah then says, or Judah says, the strength of the laborers is failing, and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. And our adversary said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came that they told us 10 times from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. Now look at Nehemiah's reaction. Therefore, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings and I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears and their bows. Now, we read of burned stones earlier, and here we find the word rubbish is repeated again. Now, the word means gray dust or gray powder. In other words, when Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Jerusalem and the temple, he set the city on fire. And the limestone block used both to build the temple and the walls around the city were burned. And we know that when limestone is superheated, 
it does two things. One, it loses its structural integrity, and that's why the challenge came from Sanballat. Are they going to use stones burned with fire? But not only would the stones lose their structural integrity, they would also be coated with a fine dust, or the outer layers would char, and they would have to be cleaned and scrubbed in order to be used once again. And the fact is, the adversaries of God's work said, we'll use the dust that they're creating as a cover, and they won't even see us coming, and we'll kill them, and by that means, stop the work on the walls. Now, the local Jews were told they repeated this 10 times. That's simply a Hebraism, for they told us over and over and over. So they said, they're going to come up on us from every direction. Wherever we turn, they're going to come up on us. So Nehemiah said, you know, you guys are right. We may as well quit. We may as well give up. We may as well just let things lie in ruin. We may as well not do anything because the adversity keeps coming. The opposition keeps growing. No, that's not what he said. That's not what he did. He positioned men at the most vulnerable parts of the wall, the unrepaired gates and the parts where the wall was lower than they felt secure behind. He set people in their positions according to their families, and then he armed them with swords, and they brought their spears and their bows. Now, remember Hebrews 11, called the Hall of Faith, and Verses 32 to 34, the author says, And what more shall I say? For the time would fail, for time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, and turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Now we've been talking about a paradigm shift in our thinking in our first two points. We need a realignment in how we view growing opposition and adversity. We need to see it as an opportunity for an even greater victory when opposition grows. And we don't simply pray and wait for God to do what he told us to do, we pray and do what God told us to do. We don't simply sit around and worry and wish things were different. We get to work for God's kingdom and we do the things that we have been commissioned by God to do. We are the salt of the earth. In other words, we are a purifying influence and we are the light of the world. We are the world's only truth bearers and we speak the truth and love to a world that's growing in its hatred of us. And back in verse 2, Sanballat called the Jews feeble. The word simply means to be weak. And the truth was, these Jews who were rebuilding the wall weren't stonemasons. They were ordinary people from every walk of life trying to do a task that was beyond their own skill set and even capabilities, yet they were doing it for God, and so they had a mind for God's work. They were assigned a task that was seemingly impossible, and the rubbish was not only present when they began, the gray dust increased the more they worked and cleaned the stones, making the task harder as it went forward or progressed. But like those in the hall of faith, out of weakness, they were made strong. God is still in that business today. He is still making us when times are tough, when the adversaries are many, when opposition is growing out of our weaknesses, out of our own concerns for our nation and the church, God is giving us 
his strength. And now these men, Nehemiah and those with him, position themselves to put to flight the armies of the aliens. Now these aren't aliens and spaceships and that type of thing. These are foreigners, if you will, who are opposing the work of God. And Nehemiah does a very wise thing in here in that he positions people according to their families because the truth was, not only were these people not stonemasons, they weren't soldiers either. But I think we all recognize the reality You don't have to be a soldier to fight for your family. Anyone who loves their family is going to fight on behalf of their family. And listen, we are the family of God. And we need to stick together. We need to be the resistance force against the advancement of the devil's agenda in our day. We may feel like the task is too daunting. We may feel like the rubbish is too deep and that we're not strong enough for the battle. And yet in Psalm 26 through 8, David wrote this, For I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stand upright. I believe it's time for the church to rise and stand upright in these last days. But we also need to remember, David had chariots, David had horses, and he rode them in the battle. And yet his trust, even in the midst of all the apparatus that was at his disposal as the king of Israel, he relied on the Lord. His trust was in the Lord, but he participated in what God was going to do. He prayed and he fought. He was personally engaged in the battle against his adversaries, and I'll remind us all this morning that the one time he stayed home from battle at the time of the year when kings go out to war, when he should have been with his men and his people, it was the time where his greatest recorded failure occurred. Now, here's our segue point from preparation to implementation that we'll look at next week from the balance of this chapter. Now, listen, we're going to have to... uh, deal with this a little bit for our own understanding, but here's our final and concluding point for the day. Listen, sometimes we must defend ourselves, but it is always time to defend the faith. Sometimes we must defend ourselves, but it is always time to defend our faith. Now, we are to pray for our enemies and do good to those who hate us. How do we know? Jesus said that. So that's what we do. That's the end of the conversation concerning that issue. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 6, 7, Now therefore, it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourself be cheated? Paul is saying it's better to let yourself be cheated than to drag an issue between fellow believers into the pagan courtrooms. Peter would say this in 1 Peter 2, 20-21, For what credit is it if, when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. He would go on to say in 3.17, For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good 
than for doing evil. Listen, doing the right thing isn't going to be without consequence at times in the sense of adversity and opposition. And it isn't that we should never defend ourselves or our homes. We have every right to do that. And listen, there's a difference between dying for your witness and dying for your wallet. There's a difference between dying from a crime unrelated to your faith and dying for your faith or because of your faith. And there are times where we need to stand up and defend ourselves, life, and property. Now, the point is this. Nehemiah and the Jews were under attack for doing what God called them to do, and it was, to time, it was time to pray and work and not pray and worry and which things would change or adversity would go away. The opposition kept growing, and their efforts were to cause confusion among the workers and then even to kill them to stop the work. Listen, there are efforts today to silence the church, and it's time for us to defend the faith. It's time for us not to change or adjust to what the world wants us to teach or say or to a message that they are willing to accept. And we need to remember that we are a family. And God has but one church. And the one church has a common foe. And our common foe have many who serve him and minions who are carrying out his will and wishes. And in Acts 5, 27 to 32, we're told when they had brought them, the disciples, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked them, saying, did we not strictly command you not to teach in his name? There's an attack on the faith. And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. The council was enraged at these closing statements of Peter and the others, and thus they sought to kill them. And one of the Pharisees who was well-respected spoke up, a man who was actually the tutor for Paul himself, Gamaliel, and he said, if this is not of God, it's going to come to nothing. But if this is of the Lord, we don't want to be fighting against it. Acts 5.40 says they agreed with them. And when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, even though Gamaliel said, hey, it'd be best to leave them alone. They beat them anyway. They commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus. Again, they accepted this because it was against the name of the Lord. And they let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. The apostles did not let the council deter them from what God had called them to do, just as Nehemiah stayed the course as the opposition grew against the rebuilding of the wall around Jerusalem, just as opposition increased for Ezra as they were rebuilding the temple as well. Now, there comes a time in history and countries for civil disobedience. 
But we need to remember, it's not in defense of ourselves. Now listen close. It's not even in defense of our own rights. It's in defense of the gospel. And when the Christian faith is attacked, when Christian precepts and principles are outlawed, it is time for us to take a stand. And I believe that time has come. And listen, we'd be doing something completely different if we were in our own building. I do have to say we would still be mindful of the season we are in with this pandemic and the COVID-19 and all. But for now, we're going to continue to stand for truth, even though for these next couple of weeks, it's online. And we're also going to remind the church, all who are listening, all who call this church their home, we are an army, not a fraternity. We are God's army and armies trained for battle. And when the time comes, they stand up and fight. And it's time for the resistance. It starts with a change in our thinking with prayers followed by action. Listen, they can call us bigots. They can call us haters. They can call us homophobes. They can call us fools. And they can call us everything else they can think of. And we must stand and take it and pray for them and do good to them. But when they say you can't believe the Bible or you can't practice the Christian faith, then it's time for the resistance. And this is an opportunity for victory. But we cannot pray without acting. We must do both. As we remember, the gates of hell will not prevail against God's church. Our thinking needs to change I believe in these last days. We need to understand that we have been commissioned by God to go to a world that is going to fight against us, oppose us, reproach us, insult us, taunt us, and yet we need to keep coming. We need to keep moving forward. And when we have edicts that come from places of power, at least within the structure of our own country, we do what Peter did when they say, you can't teach in the name of Jesus. We say it's time now to obey God rather than the edicts or directives of men. And yet even then we do so in love and we walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, meaning outside of the body of Christ. And listen, yes, this seems a little bit rebellious, but aren't we supposed to rebel against the enemy? Isn't that how we resist him? By submitting to God, which is a rebellion against the enemy. And listen, if, as Jesus said, if the church loses its savor, it becomes good for nothing and then will be trampled underfoot by men. And listen, we cannot lose our savor, our saltiness, our purifying and preserving influence in this country or anywhere else in the world. And Jesus said in his own illustration, a city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden and you don't put a lampstand under a basket so the light is hidden we need to stand up for the truth in these last days because we are now receiving directives from people in places of power that we cannot teach the things that are in the name of Jesus and therefore it's time for the resistance so let our minds wrap around these things we have learned thus far from Nehemiah and get ready for the implementation of them that we'll study next week. So would you pray with me, please? 
And Father, we again are so thankful for your spirit. We thank you for your word. We thank you for these encouragements, Lord, that we see from a man who was the cupbearer to a pagan king. And yet, Lord, we know from chapter 1 of Nehemiah, he went into the king's presence with a saddened countenance, which was an offense punishable by death. And yet his burden for your city, a city that you had earlier, some 300 years earlier, 400 years earlier, said to Solomon that your name would be there perpetually and forever. And Nehemiah was more burdened for you than he was fearful of what could happen to him. So Lord, I pray that that would be our mindset in these last days. May we revere your great name. May we, Lord, walk in the fear of the Lord, the reverent trust and awe of you as we should. May we learn from those, Lord, who had their names recorded in the great hall of faith of Hebrews 11, of their boldness, their willing to stand against cultural trends in society and to speak the truth and to do so in love. May we be found among that number rather than those who have compromised your word. Help us to be bold and resist the devil that he might flee from us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.